It's me again! Uh, Matt wanted me to finish up the lesson, so uh, I will be doing Sunday School again this morning. Welcome to Faith Baptist Church Sunday School Hour. Uh, if you all grab your Bibles for me, turn to uh, John chapter 11 again. We're going to be finishing up the story of Lazarus this morning. I'm the Josh this week, right? Yeah, you're the Josh this week. I'll be back in a second. That's fine. <laughs> About 15 minutes in there, <laughs> minimum. All right. John chapter 11, we'll be starting in verse 17. Yeah, Matt, uh, Matt called me earlier this week, and he's like, hey, uh, so how do you feel about finishing up the Sunday school lesson? I was like, uh, I don't know. And he was like, but Jesus. And I was like, well, all right, good point. So here, <laughs> here I am. All right, John chapter 11, uh, verse number 17, we'll start reading. Then when Jesus came, he found that they had lain him in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of, Jews, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to confront her concerning her brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, I'm going to stop right here for a second. Notice that. Verse 24, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She thanks Jesus here as being metaphorical, right? So Jesus is saying, you know, don't worry. You know, one day, the same thing we tell everybody today when we lose somebody that's important to us. You're going to see him again one day in heaven. And this is what Martha's saying. She's like, you know, I'm sure plenty of people have told her this already. You know, we'll see him again one day in heaven. Uh, she does not realize that Jesus doesn't mean whenever she sees him in heaven. He means like in a second. But, all right, verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then were, then which were with her in the house, and cometh her, comforteth her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. All right. Get my notes back up. <laughs> Verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came unto her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? 
they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, it's only two words. Jesus wept. Verse 36, then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So we're going to stop there for a moment uh, and uh, go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord. I pray that you would be, th be with me, be with the service, Lord. I hope that my words could encourage somebody, could teach somebody, could help somebody who needs some assistance this morning, Lord. I pray that you would uh, bless all of us and uh, just bless this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, <clears throat> a couple of very important verses here. Uh, we'll start with verse 32, because that's the one we're closest to. It says, Then Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. So, that's the second time we've heard that verse. The first time we heard it was Martha. Martha said the same thing to Jesus when he got there. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know? And this is where we as Christians put our limitations that we have on God. Right? What we know he can do is not what he can do. Because he can do anything. And anything is a very broad term. Usually when you hear the phrase anything... It encompasses so much that your mind just kind of blinks. You think, well, you know, um, I owe you something. I will give you anything. When you have a million options, it's hard to pick. Um, this is something that's actually very well researched. It's, it's one of those things where if you sat down at a table and you had seven choices, your decision time would be longer based on seven choices rather than if you sat down at a table with two choices, right? If the possibilities of something are opened up to the infinite, it is extremely hard for us to wrap our minds around that because it's infinite, right? It's literally continual forever. That's what infinite means. So Mary and Martha and all the Jews that were following her all have seen the amazing things that Jesus has done, right? They've seen him heal the blind and, you know, do all these amazing miracles, but they're best way to phrase this would be their understanding of what the Lord can do was limited to what they had still seen, right? Their faith in the fact that he could do anything was hindered by what they've seen him do already. Because they, they said, well, you can do all these amazing things, but he's already died, right? So Martha and Mary had faith that Jesus could heal their brother but never even considered resurrection of their brother by Christ a possibility. And that's actually pretty evident in, uh, I believe it was uh, verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Right? And Jesus saying to her, don't worry, your brother's going to rise again. And her being like, yes, I know I will see him in the resurrection day when that comes. Completely going over her head what Jesus is saying. Because she's just, it, it, it wasn't even an option to them. At this point in time, Lazarus was gone. He was dead. And anything Jesus could have done, he can't do anymore because he's not there. Lazarus isn't there to heal. He's, he's gone. He's, he's dead. But not for long. Spoiler alert. They never even realized that they were limited in their own faith. I wonder how much we are limited in our own faith and never even realize it. And this is something that can go for a, a lot of people because 
I mean, I personally have experienced this a number of times, so I'm sure other people have as well, where you're not sure that something can actually happen. You have that moment of doubt, which is 100% normal. It's something that as human beings we have is doubt. Same with every other emotion, sadness, happy, everything that we feel, we feel doubt. And there are times when you're going through not even just the worst of it, but when it feels like every little thing just keeps stacking, it's not always the big major disasters that cause lives to go out of control. Sometimes it's those nickels and dimes of events that it's like, well, this happened and it's not that bad. But then also this happened and this and this and this. And instead of having one big thing that happened, you have 14 things that are small to medium size that have happened. You just feel overwhelmed and you feel like you can't do it. And when that happens, it's very easy to just think that you'll never get out of it. That you're just going to be stuck there forever, slowly solving problems while other problems just stack on top of that. And it, it, it can be hard to get out of that. But how many times have you come out of the other end of that? How many times did you think, I'm not going to be able to make it this month? I'm not going to be able to afford this. I'm not going to be able to finish all of what I need to finish. And somehow, without making any sense, it gets taken care of. We are limited by our faith sometimes, because even though we don't believe, the Lord will still take care of us. I think it's the speaker speakers. G and, um, yes, here is a good one. Um, let's see, verse, verse 25, the next verse down. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus did not say, I give life, did he? That's right. What did he say in that verse? I am. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Right? Where else have we heard that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Right? Jesus is not giving Lazarus something. He's not giving him life. Jesus is the life. Jesus is bringing him back from the dead because that is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of life. He was as much man as though he were never God and as much God as though he was never man. It was a conundrum wrapped in an enigma that is entirely difficult for us to understand, but it's incredible once you really start getting into it. God is the source of all life in the universe, and that is why it only exists on this planet. Think about that. Think about a lot of the, uh, I don't know how much uh, anyone here really looks into, or anybody online looks into the outer space, you know, NASA, Elon Musk shooting cars into space, you know. <laughs> whatever it is that does it for you or the you know the Hubble telescope looking and trying to find different galaxies uh, different you know universes and stuff like that and it's interesting because you know every couple of years I want to say it's every like three or four years they will say they found evidence that potentially there was once water on a planet or there was once you know potentially there was like microscopic you know amoeba or something on a planet but it's never alive right it's potential evidence of life it's never life itself um it's one of those things where all of the conditions for Earth, 
the position we're in in relativity to the other planets for our electromagnetic field, the relativity of us to the sun, how we spin, the way we spin, the way we move through the universe while we're spinning, all of that is set up in such a way that our physics works to where we can have life on this planet. Because if we flipped with Mars, our conditions would be completely different. I mean, their yearly rotation is different, their gravity is different, their weather is different. And if you go the other way to the planet on the other side of us that I don't know the name of because I don't remember the planets, um, you're going to get uh, entirely too cold. And some of those even have like rain that's acid. Some of them have rain that's diamonds. I believe that's Pluto. Wow, one of them rains diamonds. That would be interesting. But no life. <laughs> yeah, no life anywhere in our galaxy other than here. Right? Why do you think that is? Why do you think we don't have life anywhere but here, on this one planet? It's almost like someone designed it that way. Yeah. It's almost like it was meant to be that way. Because as much as we like to talk about random chance, and that's a, that's a big thing in the, the theory of evolution, and not just like adaptive evolution, right? The evolution of creatures past, you know, when they were created. The evolution of creatures from amoebas all the way up to humans, right? The, the theory is there is random change that attributed to the creature that was successful enough for them to slowly do that. Think about that on a cosmic scale. Think about all of the factors. There is, and I believe you have this written down, according to scientists, it is less than 0.001% probability that everything would have hit and heated and moved and stretched to the point to where we could have life on this planet. Think about all the things you have to do right in a uh, souffle so it just doesn't deflate, you know? And then think about that on a cosmic scale of trying to make a planet that has life. This was something that was designed intelligently by a being that we can't even comprehend. To think that we could attribute that to random chance is honestly a little bit naive in my opinion. But Amen. Back to the Bible. <laughs> uh, the probability for life... Oh, I read that. Yes. Uh, it's plain to see that God is the source, creator, and sustainer of all life. And that last part's very important. Sustainer. Right? Because we always talk about how he made everything on the planet. You know, we talk about how he gave life to everything on the planet. How he breathed life into Adam. Maybe he created him and then breathed life into him. Right? But we rarely think about the sustainability of the planet. Right? Because... A lot of times what happens is, is we get hung up on the creation and then we're on our own, right? Mm. We're created, he gave us life, good luck, right? Sets you out on your way, pin a $20 bill to your chest, good luck. <laughs> but he continues to take care of us. And if, if, you're, if you're a Christian, I guess I'll see you later, Mike. Give me a sec. Sorry for the audio on that. That couldn't have been pleasant. This is not going to be pleasant either. I guess I hit the podium too much when I talk. Just like, wow. Um, <clears throat> think about this, though. If you're a Christian, or even if you're not a believing Christian, there have been things in your life where you didn't, like we talked about earlier, where you were having an issue, or even just you know struggling with something, and along came a random person with exactly what you needed. Right? 
And that was 100% God. You can say it wasn't. You can say it was just a good Samaritan, which is also in the Bible. But, I mean, you could say whatever you want, but God takes care of us. He sustains us. He is constantly holding everything, moving, all the moving parts in his hands, making sure they all go the way they need to go. It's pretty impressive, if you ask me. All right. So... Let's move on now to uh, verse number 35, which was a two-word sentence. It's a two-word verse, right? Jesus wept. What would you think about that? Jesus knows what's coming, right? Jesus knows what he's about to do. He said it about 10 verses ago to Martha. I'm going to bring him back from the dead. He's going to come back. She thinks on Resurrection Day and Mary, that, like I said, they're limited in their faith because of that. But even knowing that, kind of like we talked last week, Jesus knows what Lazarus had to go through. Jesus knows what Martha and Mary and all the Jews who have wept for him have had gone through. Just because he's going to bring him back doesn't mean the suffering never happened, right? They still went through that. They still watched those things happen, and it still did happen. Jesus isn't turning back the wheel of time to bring Lazarus back. He's bringing him back from the dead. All those emotions... All of the heartache, watching them lay him down in a tomb, everything. The hope they had that Jesus would get there and heal him, being crushed because Jesus didn't make it in time. Because they didn't believe that Jesus could bring him back from the dead. All of that is real. And Jesus could feel that. So he wept. That's just such a powerful two-word verse. It really is. Jesus did not weep for Lazarus. He knew because Lazarus was saved. The tears were for the mourners that had to live without the one they loved. Jesus weeps when you weep. Jesus hurts when you hurt. And Jesus always has compassion for us. He always does. And that's, that's throughout the entire Bible, honestly. If you read, and that's kind of what this, this lesson's about, these, the study of Christology right now. I believe we're going through the, the life of Christ and kind of all of his things that he accomplished, the miracles, the, the lifespan of him up until the point where he eventually sacrifices himself on the cross. But think about that. All you have to look at to know his compassion and to know how much he cared was a man who never did anything wrong, biblically never did anything wrong. We, we say that sometimes, you know, in jest, especially Matthew all the time. It's like, oh, I've never done anything wrong my whole life. You know, that's constantly what he says. But, you know, um, but somebody who biblically did nothing wrong his entire 33 years, 33 years did nothing wrong, period. Period. It's the end of the sentence. And he sacrificed himself on a cross for us for me for you for you for us that's the compassion he had that's an insane level of compassion that we just can't really understand i'm gonna knock this thing off again i can feel i gotta take my hands off the podium it's fine all right hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 you don't need to turn there i'll read it um For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our own infirmities, but was in the points tempt like this, that we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted several times. There's the, I think one of the most famous temptings of Jesus was when he fasted and then was tempted by the devil, right? Devil says, hey, you know, you're God. 
you know, you're hungry, you haven't eaten in a while, why don't you just make yourself some bread? You just make yourself some bread and eat, you know, prove your God at the same time, you know, and then, you know, you, you, can, you can go to this city. Hey, do you want to be the king of this city? Do you think you could fall and then, like, have the angels catch you? I mean, that would be pretty cool, right? If you could just, like, fall and have the angels catch you, I mean, you'd prove you were God. And what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone. We have so many things in this world that sustain us. But the most important one is God. We have our food. Godness, we love our food. We're Baptist here, okay? We are Baptist. We're having... We still haven't decided on the name. It's, it's crockpot lasagna, but it's basically uh, raviolis, uh, marinara, and uh, cheese in the oven. Uh, Lazaroli, or I think we were also going with uh, rasagna. One of the two. We haven't come up with a full name yet. Trademark, um, you know, TM, 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 TM. Um, but even though we have things that sustain us, and, and not just food. Think about the, um, those of us who have been through this pandemic yeah. the past two years. Think about those times where you had to quarantine and you just felt alone, like nobody was there, like you are in a room by yourself for a year and a half, no social interaction, no talking to anybody other than through this thing. And think about how that kind of left a hole how you couldn't really get as fulfilled as you wanted to out of all of that. How the love and the closeness and the commune that you have with everybody around you, you lost that for like a year and a half. And now imagine that on the scale of God, right? Imagine somebody going their whole life, and maybe this is you, without knowing what it feels like for God to be in here. For that sustainability that's inside, that, that hole that just doesn't get filled. Think about that, that feeling you had when you couldn't go outside and go to the store because we had a worldwide pandemic going on. And think about that on the scale of God not being in here. Whenever you close your eyes and you search deep and within yourself and God's there to help you with your issues and talk to you about your problems. That is something that will sustain you through the toughest of times. Yeah. Think about Paul. I think there's a whole like subsection of chapter where Paul is talking about just all of the awful things that has happened to him. Yeah. He gets shipwrecked. Sorry, I lost my notes. He gets shipwrecked. He gets beaten. He gets stoned. He gets whipped. He goes through everything. But what sustains him the whole time? God. His love of God. God's love for him sustains him through all of that. They still do not realize what Jesus is about to do. Let's read verses 39 through 40 real quick. Okay. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Say I not unto thee that, if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? 
Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now this is interesting, right? We know what Jesus is about to do. Why didn't Jesus just do it himself? Right? Why did Jesus look up and talk to his father? Anybody? He wanted to show us. He wanted the God to get the glory. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a roundabout way, yes. Basically, he's always setting an example for everything that we need to do, right? And in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are one. They're communing as one. But even though they are one, he still talks to his Father. Because they're also separate. And I know that concept is one of the most quantum physics concepts we could probably talk about where it does exist but also doesn't exist. One of those things. But he is talking to his Father because he is man. Even though he's God, he's also man, like we said earlier. So he's thanking his father because he already knows. He has, he's Jesus, right? So the faith in Jesus is absolute. He knows already that God the Father is going to listen to him. He knows already that God the Father is going to help him perform this miracle because they're one. Okay, we're not going to get into it. (laughs) Just going to confuse us. Then they took away the, we'll read in verse um, uh, 41, we'll read that again. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou heardst me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it. So, leading by example. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. See, he's not only leaving an example for us, because we get to read the story. It's 2022. It's 2022. It's 2022. Yeah, it's 2022. But we're getting to read this story. We're getting to read about something Jesus did thousands of years ago. Because it was written down for us. Jesus didn't just do this for the ones that were standing around. For Martha and Mary and the Jews that were all weeping for Lazarus. Just to set an example for them. He's setting an example for all of us. To have faith to look up to God and say, thank you, because I know you're going to listen to me. Thank you. Right now. Before you even do it, thank you. Because I know. I just know. Incredible. Verse 43. And when he thus had spoken and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Anybody, uh... Besides Matthew, know why he said uh, that specific phrase, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he just said, come forth, all the dead would be dead. Yeah, because if he had just looked at the grave and been and said like, hey, come, come on, come here. Everybody in those tombs would have got up and started walking to the door like, whoa, what happened? Not the point, so... He says in verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. We'll stop there for right now. 
He first gives thanks to the Heavenly Father, which we talked about. And he specifically says, Lazarus, okay, good, we talked about that as well. <laughs> Lazarus had felt the power of the resurrection. All right? Whenever Lazarus was in the grave, he was dead. So much dead that Martha and Mary were worried when they rolled the stone back about the smell that was going to come out. <coughs> Jesus wasn't worried. He knew what was going to happen. And then it's interesting, uh, verse 44, and, when the, and, and he that was dead came forth. Which, just that one phrase mm. is crazy. Yeah. He that was dead came forth. I can only imagine yeah. the mixture of emotions that was going through Mary and Martha. Yeah. Because you see this man that you know died walking towards you still bound still got the the wrappings around his head and you are not sure what to think I mean imagine you're standing there your brother has passed away and the son of God is next to you and he tells him to come forth and he starts walking towards you I, me personally I don't know what I I would probably still have some mixed emotions and I might still be doubting at this point because is he going to be the same as he was? Is he going to... I mean, now that we have the advent of zombies, is he going to be a zombie? <laughs> you know? What, is, is, is he just alive in a body, basically? Is he just the husk of what used to be Lazarus come back from the dead? Or is it really my brother that's in there? You know what I'm saying? But Jesus doesn't do half measures, does he? That's right. Lazarus was resurrected bodily, but those of us that place their faith in Jesus for salvation have been resurrected in our spirit. So not only was Lazarus's body resurrected, his spirit was too, and ours is as well. If you've been saved, if you're a saved, born-again born Christian, your spirit's been reborn. I mean, that's why we call it reborn, being reborn, being saved. We have come out of a tomb of sin. Uh, to be as metaphorical as completely possible. We have come out of a dark hole. I mean, think about think about the imagery of that, of a place of death, a place of laying in dark, cold, forever, and being taken out of that in your bondages, being set free and let go. The imagery there is crystal clear. Amen. What sin is what sin does yeah. and what happens if you stay there and what walking towards Jesus does when you're called he was called he came forth and they cut his bonds and let him go because he was free the the Bible gets a lot of flack a lot of people like to go in and try and nitpick things out of it yeah. and say that it's conflicting here or it's got issues here or I don't know how you could believe this stuff or this stuff or this stuff. Yeah. But I want you to just think about the absolute perfection of this writing. Honestly. Think about the, the best books you've read or the best movies you've watched and think about the imagery. Think about all the foreshadowing, everything in those stories that kind of hinted towards certain things, right? 
uh, in Pinocchio, there was, you know, several foreshadowing things to what he was going to be doing later on, right? In the Bible, everything is this beautiful picture that represents something that's entirely deeper than the story itself. And it's just crazy. If you really get in and read it, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, Ephesians 2.1 says, And you had a quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. When we come out of our sin, when we decide that it's time to move forward, which for some people can be difficult. Sin is alluring. I mean, we know the place you end up. We know the end result, right? But some people don't care. Some people think the journey is enough and where they end up is where they end up, right? But can I tell you how much fun the journey is on the other side? Sin has its allures. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't want to sin. Sin has its uh, shiny, jingling keys that Satan likes to shake. Like we're a baby in a carol and you're just trying to get those keys, you know? But the path of the righteous, the path of the saved, it's a path of responsibility. It's a path of fighting one battle after another. But that doesn't mean people who aren't saved don't fight battles. It just means we have another warrior on our side. Amen. A lot of social media has caused, I would believe, some issues in this area. Because when you're on social media, what's the one thing you always see? Say you're scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, whatever, Twitter, if you're on Twitter, which don't. <laughs> what do you always see? You see the fun stuff. Sure. Right? Went to the water park. Went out to a concert. You know, I went skydiving with a couple of my buddies, right? What don't you see? I was $300 short on my bills this week. Yeah. You know, my dog, you know, ran away and I can't find it. You know, okay, you do see that one sometimes, that, to be fair. <laughs> you do see those, but just because they're trying to find them. But nine times out of ten when you're on Facebook, they're doing something fun. They're doing something cool. Yeah. Well, Facebook now it's 90%, you know, vote for my political party. But <laughs> beyond that, it was always, you know, maybe if we go back to the MySpace days, for those of you who don't know what MySpace oh. is, oh. <laughs> it's always what they're doing that's good. You rarely, rarely get to see anything that's bad. It's like a, a, a company who's trying to hire you, right? They're always going to show you all the good things of the company yeah. until you get in the company and it's like, oh, well, technically we are failing right now, but like, that's why you're here to fix it. So, that might just be past trauma. Sorry about that one. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go back to verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, cried, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot, with the grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathering the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, Who, oh, what do we, for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men, count this right here, if we thus, if we let him thus alone, all men, 
will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. I want you to think about this. Jesus did something here that was incredible. Mm -hmm. He did something here that was beyond human capacity of even those who believed. Mary, Martha, believed in Jesus with everything that they had. But they capped Jesus off. They gave Jesus a limit based on their limited knowledge. If somebody who believes can do that to Jesus, imagine how somebody who doesn't could do that to Jesus or God. Especially if you've been burned. I know that there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in God because of things that have happened to them in their life. Because they believe that if a God existed, that bad things wouldn't happen. And sadly, that's just not the case. Because look at what happened to Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate good, and he was sacrificed on a cross. God exists, but it doesn't mean that evil doesn't. What's funny is, is if you... Actually, there's been some polling data on this. That people believe in Satan more than they believe in God. Which is interesting, right? Because you would think that if you believed in one... You'd have to believe in the other, right? Because normally when things come in the world, they're parallels, right? You have a a yin and a yang. You have, you know, one side to another, both poles of the magnet, right? You have to have the counterbalance to anything we do. But what's interesting is a lot of people will believe in Satan, but not believe in God. And that's, that just goes to show that we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Honestly. Because if the world's bad enough to believe in Satan, but not God... We've got some work cut out for us, honestly. Um, But notice what the Pharisees did, right? So some of the people that were there believed him. And some of the people that were there believed him and went to the Pharisees. Because if you notice, they they didn't go to the Pharisees and say, this guy's pulling pranks. He's tricking all these people. No, they went and told him he's doing these miracles. And what do the Pharisees do? Are they like, wow, God's come back. That would have been great, but no, that's not the way the story goes. The first thing the Pharisees do is, he's going to take all of our power. Mm. He's going to take everything we've built. We have this wealth and these nations and all this power across all of this land. And if we don't do something about him, everybody's going to believe in him. Nobody's going to believe in us, and we're going to lose all that money, all that power. So we have to put a stop to him. When Lazarus was given new life, he still had to remove his grave clothes. All right, Too many Christians today are still wearing their grave clothes of the world, pursuing worldly things that are trendy and popular instead of those things that are pleasing to our Heavenly Father and God. There are things in this world that it's hard to shake. It just is. And that is a, a fact of being a human being. We are not God. We can try and be like God as much as we want, which is the goal, but we're not. We're going to have setbacks. The important thing to do when you have a setback, though, is not to throw up your hands. This is a, a, a very good tip that people give when, like, starting to eat healthier or starting to, uh, you know, just exercise a little bit more is that one of the things that you do is don't do it for a week and then get on the scale and see that you gain two pounds and quit. Yeah. You know? Because the, the pro- progress there is not what you think it's going to be, right? right. You have to keep going. Regardless, you have a setback. Something happens. Okay, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm human. I, I will do my best not to do it again. And you move forward. 
if you get hung up on the sins that you do, on the sins that you take pleasure in, on the sins that you just have the hardest time letting go, if you get hung up there and you can't move past the fact that you're human and you're going to make a mistake and it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're sorry for making the mistake, then you're going to be stuck there. You have to move forward. You have to know that it's okay to make a mistake, but you also have to be trying to correct it. One of the most important things in that process is trying to correct it. Because yeah. one of the things that uh, our parents always told us growing up was it's okay not to, it's okay not to, it's okay to fail, basically. As long as you tried your best, it's okay to fail. Failure is not a bad thing because you learn from it. Yeah, that's right. You grow from it. You gain new experiences every time you fail, every time you lose, as long as you tried your best. But if you're using that as an excuse, though, well, I guess I'm only human. Mm -hmm. I guess I get to sin. That's the, the, I forget the verse, but God does not look upon men the way we yeah. do. I'm going to paraphrase this a lot. That's but God looks inward while we look outward. So you can fool me. You can fool all of us. You can fool that camera. You can't fool him. He's going to know it. And that frustrates some people. Ooh, I know that frustrates some people. Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Mary and Martha failed to see all that Jesus could do. But their unwavering faith in Jesus made it possible for them to see him do the impossible. Have you ever been wowed by something God does or, or, or by the faith you keep? Have you ever experienced something that was just amazing from being a Christian, from coming to church? Have you ever had that moment? I've had this moment several times. I had this moment last week, which is why I'm standing here, um, where all of a sudden you have a thought and then somebody immediately answers your thought without it being voiced out. Have you ever had a thought? Have you ever had that thought answered when you never said it out loud? You're having a day, you're going through something, somebody comes up to you and they answer your question without ever being asked because God laid it on their heart to do so and they listen to the Lord. Sometimes believing has to come first and that's hard. Sometimes knowing what's going to happen is easier, but believing is a lot better. Uh, that's our Sunday school lesson for today. Uh, how'd I do on time? You got a left. Oh, I actually didn't do bad. I thought I was actually going to run about 10.30, so I actually did a lot better than I thought I was going to. I guess I, guess I do take after my brother a little bit. Um, so we'll see you guys in the uh, morning service. We'll be back around the uh, 11 o'clock hour. Thank you.